So today we talked to Will Omer. Now, Will has had an interesting journey in itself. So he talks about so many different things, about riding his bike when he first started his business, to creating a huge t-shirt company, to why he grew the mustache. Now into moving to Texas and the business he's involved in now. This is an exciting and fun journey with Will Omer. Will, so great to have you here. So the bad part about doing these things is you get in the room and you start talking and you're like, wait, 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 wait. Let's don't talk about that now. Mm -hmm. So, um, so Will, give me the, give me the, the quick background. The really, the, I guess the question is, what do you do and why does it matter? Oh, that is a great question. Uh, what do I do and why does it matter? You know, I was telling you before, mm -hmm. before we even got started, I've stopped even wondering why. It's like asking, why does Tiger Woods play golf? Right. Why, I just was built that way. and I'm sure. I used to question all the time, like, what are my motives? Why am I doing this? I just trust in the divine. I trust yeah. it like this is what I was built for. And if I had that intuition, I follow it. Yeah. Um, what I hope is that I positively affect a lot of people, help a lot of people along the way. And the biggest thing is to show people that no matter what, circumstance you've come from or what your life looks like like you're one choice away oh, yeah. you know what i mean sure. you're good literally like yeah good or bad but you know i've been through a lot of different stuff and um just having hope and knowing that you know the, the good things are right around the corner sure. too if you'll just exercise a little bit of discipline and right you know so tell me so you're in the roofing business tell me about tell me about what you like give me the 30 second version of what you're doing now mm -hmm. mainly so we do a lot of roof replacements okay. on insurance claims. So a hailstorm, tornado, something like right. that rolls in, and we go in and help the homeowner file an insurance claim and restore their roof to pre-storm condition. All right. That's the name of your business. And what, what, Vaccaro Roofing. Vaccaro Roofing. And you're based in? We're in Right now we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Okay. I'm looking to get into Birmingham, which okay. is um, could be a great market. Sure. There's a lot of wind. And surprisingly, there's some hail here from time to time. Yeah. Um, but yeah. All right. So we were talking briefly before we started about you being from Demopolis. Let's go back. Yeah. Tell me about growing up. What, like, grew up in Demopolis. And for those of y'all don't know, if you Google Demopolis, it's not a very big town. It's in uh, southwest uh, Alabama. And so tell us, tell us about growing up and who you were from there. Yeah, you know, growing up in Demopolis was awesome. It's a great community. Yeah, a lot is. of good people. Sintel, homo Sintel Winston. Homo, yeah, that's what we were talking <laughs> so about. Sintel Winston is the guy I played ball with in college. And the crazy thing is, we're just sitting here talking. Like, I have not thought about Sintel Winston in probably 15 years. And all of a sudden, hey, where are you from? He yeah. says Demopolis. And Sintel Winston is the first person to exactly. come to my So, shout out to Sintel. Go ahead. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, you know, I just had that the the a great childhood you know i mean i was very fortunate very blessed you know there's a podcast i listen to called how i built this oh, we were talking right. about that Guy Ross, he's and they always ask at the end you know would you attribute this to luck or to hard work mm. and the best answer i ever heard and and i i just i feel the exact same way he said you know i was just a lot of hard work but i feel extremely lucky but not in the way you think like someone didn't call me and say start a roofing company i'll give you a bunch of money and it'll mm. all work out but I was very lucky to be born where I was born, sure. to be born into the family I was born into, yeah. to be born and had the experiences that I had that led me to that place. So I feel very fortunate. Demopolis was awesome. Yeah. So growing up there, um, what were you into and what were your parents like? Because parents are typically, typically, not always, parents are typically 
kids come from that and there's a strand there that like so let's talk about that a little bit yeah well you know my parents got divorced when i was two so okay. my dad lived in monroeville so we kind of went back and forth between yeah. my mom remarried an amazing man right and that's he wonderful. was a father figure to me man, i good. feel very fortunate i think i was nine or no i was younger i was nine when they had my youngest brother but seven or eight they got married and i had such a positive influence they're great people yeah they're god-fearing people um they believe in doing the right thing. They believe in paying what you owe. You know, right. the, the, the things that are kind of the bedrock of, sure. you know, the way that I live now. Um, you know, I was really into skating, believe it or Skateboarding? not. Skateboarding? I rollerbladed. So we would do ramps, and there was a park in Birmingham called Ramp and Speed. We wow. would go there. and But I played baseball, played soccer. When I got to high school, I played football. Yep. You know, all the things you would think in a small town. Yeah. But, but I had a little punk edge to me. I had a chain wallet. Sure. Oh yeah, I like to sing like third Chain eye wallet blind. Wore black, wore black. I had jinkos. That's you it. remember those big wide that jeans? Big old huge. Jeans, I had yes. big old wide jinko jeans in Demopolis. In Demo- so I stuck out. Yeah. And my mom was really cool. She's a very creative person. Okay. What does she do? She's retired now. Yeah, what, did, what did she do? She worked at a bank. She oh, was wow. a teller for okay. years. Then she was a stay-at-home mom for years, and then she went back to the bank, and she worked like in the bookkeeping department. Gotcha. Which is completely opposite of her personality but well you somehow created, it worked. i would have never guessed that. Yeah, not in sure. a bank exactly yeah. so um but she let us express ourselves fully always Good. so i would go to the this store called the bargain box and buy like <laughs> old men's pants and went you know she just let us i dyed my hair blue one time you Perfect. know so good mom yeah good mom she's awesome so growing up in the sports things like that so you go through high school pretty uneventful it sounds like um talk about college you said we had Talked before, yeah. You kind of dipped your toe went to, the, went to the University of Alabama. So tell me, tell me about the college, the yeah, college we, times. Yeah, we could spend a whole podcast on college alone. Um, <laughs> college was fun, man. Let's put yeah, it that way. Yeah. You know, a little too much fun. Too much. There you go. So started out at Alabama. Uh, I literally had a zero point zero zero GPA after my first semester at college. Didn't go. Didn't go to class. Just wasn't a good student. I've never been a good student. Well, I take that back. In high school, it was very easy. So I appeared to be a good student. This guy. Very yeah. easy in high school, but it was just like you didn't do anything. I didn't do any. My book bag never came out of my car. Yeah. I never studied. It was easy. Yeah. College was a train wreck for me mm. because you needed to study. Sure. There was things Demopolis didn't, care, didn't teach They didn't care who you were. They didn't care, man. And so uh, I was a terrible college student. It required me to be on time. It required like – and I'm a rebellious entrepreneur at heart, so – I really struggled with authority. Mm. It just wasn't a good mix for me. Sure. But um, then I went to Mary Military Institute for a semester. Wow. Yeah, that was fun. And, uh, totally and then different. ultimately I ended up at Troy. Okay. And I still lacked three credits to graduate. No. Yep. Three hours? Three hours, yeah. Wow. Speech, public speaking. Man, oh, man. All right, so from college. So everybody, when they were growing up, had this in their soul. I knew at the time when I was five what I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah. Okay. So first question is, what was that when you were a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up? Or did you have that? I wanted to be a prof- – so as a kid, like kid, kid. Yeah. I remember watching my first memory of Alabama football was them beating Miami in 92. 92, I was yeah. with my dad. And I wanted to be an Alabama football player. That was wow. it. I was going to play Alabama football. Um, I don't think I ever got to a place where I knew what I wanted sure. to be. Yeah. I think I was always like, who am I? What's yeah. going on? I don't even know. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So I, in college, 
so you go from Alabama to Merriman Institute to Troy. Yep. Sounds like you got your head on straight and kind of got things together. I finally got through it. What yeah. did you think that you wanted to be? What did you work towards okay. there? I studied risk management and insurance. Really? Because I walked by one day and on the billboard it said 100% job placement. And so I went in and said, you're telling me I'll get a job 100%. And her name was uh, Carol Jordan. She said, yeah, 100%. And so I said, sign me up. And I hated it. So, and I hated it. So, growing up, you had a mom that was a bookkeeper in a bank in the bank, salary nine to five type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody around you that was a business owner that you can attribute any of the the business entrepreneurship stuff? Yeah, you know, my granddad was a great businessman. Was he really? What did he do? So he out of the military, he had, from what I understand, he had an insurance agency. Okay. In Haytown, Missouri, and a farm. And they bet the whole farm, as the saying goes, and they moved to Demopolis, Alabama for soybeans. They were going to grow soybeans. And then the biggest drought ever happened, and they went belly up. And he never quit, and he ended up raising money, and he launched one of the first plastic bottle manufacturing businesses in Alabama because he had worked at Dairy Fresh for years, and he was like, plastics is the next thing. So they did blow molding, and then he sold it. Um, how did he start in that, though? Do you know? He was, he's just, you know, how, how do we, yeah, yeah, you sure. see an opportunity. He was at Dairy, I think he was at Dairy Fresh. For, I don't know the intricacies of the story, but apparently he was a guy that would always read up on things, what was coming. He, was, he loved business. He loved the Braves. Right. He loved Alamo football. He was a big-time reader and a um, really sharp guy, but he um, – he just felt like plastics was the next thing. Wow. And so he convinced a group in Demopolis, hey, let's put our money together and let's go buy a machine that blows plastic, blow most plastic bottles, and I'll go get Dairy Fresh as, a- as the first customer. Or maybe he tried to convince Dairy Fresh to do it, and they stole the idea from him. or so, I can't remember. something. But he sold the company. He ended up selling the company. Good for him. Yep. Okay. So in college, you worked for, towards risk management. They said, yes, you will get a job. So the thought process, I guess got to get a job. Mm-hmm. So from there, where did it lead you? So my parents, I love them. They were like tough love people. And there's a whole other story. I was in rehab at 20 years old. So my Drugs, I, drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Okay. I wrote a hot check for my parents. Mm. It was ultimatum. Jail or, you know, rehab. So I went to rehab. And I was introduced to AA. And I was introduced to accepting responsibility for my own life, all these types of things. I still wasn't good at it, but I was introduced to it. Um, so my parents gave me a six-month runway, okay. and they said, hey, because I was living with them at the time, and they said, in six months, you got to go, and we're not giving you any money, mm. so you got to figure it out. Yeah. And I love them for it. So I had to leave, and I didn't have a job. Mm. And I moved to Tuscaloosa, had a friend there, and uh, I ended up getting a job while I was there as an insurance salesman. That was my first job out of college. So, okay, so after you you get out of college, you go back to Tuscaloosa yep. and start selling insurance. For the what kind of insurance? Agency. I was doing commercial. I wasn't really good at it, mm-hmm. you know. I, I look at the internet a lot and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. But I just never been good with a boss. I remember sure. vividly, like, looking down. He had a the typical corner office. Yeah. And I looked in there one day, and his feet were propped up. And he was reading the paper and I'm in there like slaving on the phone. I thought, I want to be that guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't sure. really want to do this. 
So I knew I was going to leave that job, um, and I really wasn't good at it. I didn't believe in it. I felt like I didn't feel good about selling, selling it, so thing. it made it tough for me to sell it. You yeah, know what absolutely. I mean? So, yeah, that was my first job. So where did you transition from? The, how long did you, were you there? I was there almost two years. Did you make any money? Very little. They paid me like a base salary, and then I would make commission on anything I sold. But you I didn't sold believe in very you, little, yeah. very little. So and I was terrible. Like, I didn't like cold calling or yeah. um, I would go to businesses and we'd sit down. And I'd be like, man, you don't really need it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I would just feel like, <laughs> man, like, like, I just, what, I like, just you need it. <laughs> you need it. But like, man, I'm not going to bring anything that you don't already have. Or, you know, I would just feel icky. icky. Yeah, like, I just good. didn't like it, you That's know? Good. So I got a job as a marketing rep for the Sheffield group, which was, uh, they do workman's comp. Tell me, the Sheffield group that's got an office right down here yeah. on 280? Their worker's comp fund, yep. Really? Yep. So you were doing marketing for I was, I was the North Alabama marketing. I lasted 32 days, I think, before they laid me off. Why? I just wasn't doing nothing? So, so my driving record's terrible. I like to speed. Mm. Um, so I had a lot of tickets. I technically didn't have a degree. So they felt they were really doing me a solid by bringing me sure. on. They saw the charisma, the charisma, yeah. the ability, but there were some things in question. And so I finally, I had shadowed my boss for like three weeks in the car and she liked to drink beer and I don't drink anymore. In the, in the car? Not in the oh, car. Okay. <laughs> At night. She'd be like, let's go drink some beer. And I'm like, I don't drink. So yeah. that, I don't think she really liked that that much. No, nah, I'm not. She was a nice lady. Yeah. But the first week I was supposed to go out, I had 28 appointments set in North Alabama, starting in Huntsville. And I'd always had an iPhone that gave me a BlackBerry. And I didn't know how to work a BlackBerry. But I set the alarm like I thought, because I didn't have an alarm clock. Well, it never went off, and I woke up an hour late. And my first appointment was their biggest client. And I called them. I was like, I'm going to be late. I was speeding. And they were like, just don't worry about it. But I saw 27 others, and I got home. And the lady said, look, this just ain't going to work. And I was wow. devastated. Yeah. So they laid you off after a month. After a month. Golly. All right, so, so what you They say? give me a company car. And I was finally, like, I could see the financial sure. row where I'm like, because I was behind on a car payment. I was behind on everything. And I'm like, man, I'm going to get there. This is going to be great. Well, no. They took the car, took my phone. I didn't have a phone for, like, three weeks. I couldn't afford one, you mm. know. So I was depressed for like three weeks. I think I pulled unemployment for like six weeks. Right. And then I was like, I can't do this anymore. No. You know? So what did so you do after that? I started working for a furniture store, a guy named Jack Fodler in Tuscaloosa. Awesome guy. And I literally made minimum wage, sweeping floors, delivering furniture. And I remember I went home for Christmas after that. My car had been repossessed at this point. So I didn't even have a car. So how old were we at the time? 25? 26. 26, okay. So... I go home. I had to hitch a ride with my sister to go to Christmas. And my parents were like, what are you going to do? Mm. And I was like, I'm going to grow a mustache and ride a bike and work at the furniture store and launch a clothing company. And they were like, you're crazy. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. So I grew a mustache. Why'd you, why did you – why was growing because a mustache? Because it was liberating. I cared so much about what people thought about me at did that you time. Really? I okay. was so concerned, and that's what held me back. And so it was my moment to, like – Basically, just like puff my chest out and go, I don't care anymore. I'm growing a mustache. I don't care what you think, dude. I'm riding a bike. And it was the most liberating point in my life. And I had no money, but I felt 
amazing. Okay. You know? So let's go back. Let's show me the 15 second recap. So we go to college. Yeah. Get, get to Troy. You go into risk management. You hated it. Yeah. You worked two years at an insurance company, not doing a whole lot because you didn't believe in the product. From right. there, you go to work at the Sheffield Group. And I was lazy. And I want to put that out. I was not. Okay. So, hey, that's, that's okay. self-awareness is, number okay. one, is huge. Yeah. Okay. So you work for the Sheffield Group, which you really at that point thought that you could get the thing going. You wake up late one day, and then all of a sudden, a week later, you get, you get canned. You flounder around for six weeks. You go back to Tuscaloosa, working at the furniture shop. You go home for Christmas. When you go home for Christmas, you said, I, you keep talking about this mustache thing. It was a big deal. The big, <laughs> this, this mustache is big a big deal. deal. So you go, you get the mustache yeah. and not get the, you grow the mustache and you said you want to start a clothing company all while working for the furniture company. Exactly. Okay. So tell me about next steps from there. So I decided that's a I was, lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. My sister bought me for my one year anniversary for Christmas, and I still one have year it. Anniversary to this, of what? Growing a mustache. She bought me a. She bought me a mustache <laughs> comb. This mustache, <laughs> the mustache is a big deal. I had no idea this is where we were going today. Yeah, I just had it. Yeah. You know, that was my thing. Had to have the mustache. I, I had to put everybody on notice. I don't care anymore. That's it. Okay. You know, I'm doing so what I'm one doing. One year after growing the mustache, she bought a, me a. She bought me a mustache comb, and I still okay. have it because it represents like sure. you know, be true to who you are, That's do it. what you want. So anyway. Um, so my sister's a really good artist. She's an architect, but she's also really talented. And I called her. I said, Hey, I want to start a clothing company. And I had a really good friend, Chad Seal at the time. And I said, let's do this. He had a truck. He had money. I didn't. And he's a great guy and he's a hard worker. So we partnered up and she drew a logo for us, a blue heron. A girl from college said, you should call it Waters Bluff. So we did. And um, I started calling on account. No, first thing I did, I had $11 to my name. And I called a guy named Russ that works at the locker room in Tuscaloosa. Okay. I said, let me buy you lunch, man. I want to figure out how to do this thing. And he doesn't even know this to this day, but I rode there on my bike, sweaty. And I get out, and I got $11. He's like, you going to eat? I was like, no, nah, I already ate. You know, and I bought his lunch mm. with my last 11 so and I'd eat ramen noodles for a few days to make up for that. I was like scrounging pennies, but I asked him, "Hey, point blank, dude, what do I need to do to get uh, apparel in your store?" And I think that's a really good lesson. I think a lot of people sit back and research and all that. Just go to go. the source and just ask them, "What do I need to do?" And they'll yes. tell you. You know what I mean? Yes. And he did. He was very kind, and he said, "Hey, I gotta like the graphic. What kind of graphics?" Okay, you know, I'm asking him questions. Like, tell me what you want me to build, and I'll go build it. And I did, and he brought it in. So that was my first account. So how did you know this guy? So that's that's the question everybody's going to ask is, like, how did you know this guy? Did you just know this guy in passing because you bought stuff in there? That and my sister and her husband were close to him. So I I wasn't, like, super close with him, but I knew him. Okay, you know that you. But know I'm the telling you right now, I would have walked in if it was Barack Obama and said, "What do I need to do?" Like I sure. was desperate. You know what I'm saying? So you took a small connection, took a guy out to lunch, spent your last eleven dollars, which I think is, I mean, that's such a good thing. And you buy this guy lunch and tell him what to do. He tells you, and then here's the key: you went and did it. Went and did it. Went and executed. And I didn't have any money, so then people are going to be, "How'd you do that?" Well. Sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. So I called a screen print shop. Shout out Campus Collection. Check That's Goldstein. It. Let's go. And I said, hey, dude, I need you to print some stuff. Can you give me terms? I'll give you 30-day terms. So then I called the store, Rush. I can get it to you. Can you pay me in 25? 
yeah, I'll pay. I'll give you a discount. Mm. You just make it work. So I got paid before it came due and then paid him. All right, so let's go back to this. So the lesson here is terms. What is terms? So a lot of people say you can have your price and my terms or my terms Mm -hmm. and your price. Yeah. Okay, so terms is just a way of negotiating either. When it's due. When it's due or how much is due or how much it's going to be paid. Right. So terms is a loose term. Okay. This was a net 30 term. Okay, so what is... okay? That so means pick, I have yeah. 30 days from the time I received the product to pay for the product. Get the product. I got 30 days. Got yep. it. Okay, perfect. So then I turned around and told the store, before I even placed the order, Rush, I need you to do me a solid. I will throw you a discount if you can pay me in 25 and not 30. Yeah. And he said, done. So I knew I was not upside down. I said, all right, let's do the order. How many did you order the first time? Like 48 pieces. 48 pieces, probably close to the bare minimum. And I would have to ride up there on my bike Bro. and count. And I'd be like, oh, they're low. And so then I would call and order more, reorder those did prints. You, would you still work the 30-25 at that point? Or yeah. You, yeah. Yeah, because we didn't have any money. And, and by the way, that's another really good lesson for anybody starting. Because, again, people, they get analysis paralysis. Yes. Um, it, it, when you're trying to start something – the most important thing is not to get hung up on margin. The most important thing is to get it on heads or backs or whatever. And then you can focus on the margin. Sure. So for me, it was about how can I grow it into more stores, even though I'm not making money, a lot of money. And then once we get volume, I'll go renegotiate. Hey, man, I'm, we're paying too much for this or whatever. Yeah. But that wasn't a conversation. I didn't care. If you I was wanted making, to get them on, on the sorority girls and the fraternity guys. Exactly. So that people could see it and want to go get that thing. Right. So tell me about this next couple stores. How'd that work? Just cold calling, man. I was a hustler. So my bike went out, my tire bent. So now I'm walking. I remember my sister, my twin sister, love her. She, she told me one day, somebody called her, said, hey, your brother's walking across the bridge. He doesn't look good. But I was calling. I would spend that time. It took me like an hour to walk to work. So I had an You're hour. Still working at the furniture store. Still working at the furniture store. Gotcha. He laid me off one time because I was building a call from a store. You know, and he was like, this ain't going to work. And I was like, dude, I'm trying to get this thing started. So he, Jack, my guy, he kept me on. But I would just cold call, man. I, you know, I Google. We had this amazing tool, YouTube, Google. What can you not learn sure, in today? Absolutely. I would Google. I would find a brand. At that point, it was like Southern Proper, Southern, Southern Marsh. Marsh. And they'll put on there, like, all the stores they're in. Yeah. On their website. So mm. I would just go call those stores and say, I got a new one. And I put what's called a line sheet together yeah. with each image in like JPEG format. Yep. And I did an Excel sheet where they could hand write in the order and I would email. And it was just, I had people, they'd be like, stop calling. I'd be like, please, if you'll just put this in, I swear it'll do good. And it did when we finally got it in there. So you, all, you focused on T- Tuscaloosa to start off with? I went everywhere. Mm. I just started calling like a madman, but I didn't understand branding at the time. At the time, it was very loose. Like we had a golf T-shirt. We had, uh, you know, a T-shirt about football. A T-shirt about this. It was. It wasn't pulled. It cohesive. What What is the brand? Sure. So um, we, me and me and Chad, we like spent all this money on new art. We were trying to get ahead of it because the way it really works is they buy preseason mm-hmm. and you go make it and then you ship it at a later date. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So for us, and we would corral those orders in shipping windows, like maybe four a year. Maybe it's ship February 1, 
May 1, mm. 9-1, 11-1, whatever. So we had those. So we would call and try to get them all in on this one order. Nobody had success with a string of art. So we probably should have gone under. This is really funny. We had no money. Nobody had success with a string of art. What do you mean? Like, it was just loose. No one knew what the brand was. So I would gotcha. convince stores to bring it in. They wouldn't sell through. They would just be sitting on it, so they're not going to reorder the stuff. Right. Because it was terrible. Like, I'll be honest, it was terrible. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what we were doing. So we were broke, no money, and there was a uh, – do you remember that app Vine? Yeah. Vine. The first TikTok. There was a group called Dim White Boys. Yep. Baylor Barnes, which – my remember, brother Coleman is married is. to Kaylee, okay. and that was her brother. They had, like, millions. So I called Baylor, and I said, let me do some apparel for you. I went met with the parents. I typed up a contract. I didn't have any money. They signed the contract for – I got they got a royalty, and we put up a website. This is crazy, like, hope nobody bought. But we would – I went and struck a deal with Campus Collection. I said, dude, I think we're going to do 10000 and 100000 of these things. Um, and so we would have to batch them. It was a nightmare, but we generated like $50,000 off of one tank top, but it, we had to pack them by hand. It was like thousands of, I put up a website really fast, put up a UPS account really fast. I mean, I did it in like six days. It went from nothing to like, so you shipping. went to, so when they, when Dim White Boys was on Vine, you got them to wear your shirt. I, I made a hoodie black with white and it said Dim White Boys. And they would wear it when they danced, and then they, they would drive it to our store online, oh and people God. would buy it, mm. and then we'd ship it. Wow. The UPS rep came to our house and helped us pack those. He was a good guy, George, George Poindexter, yeah. Wow. Okay, so you start selling these shirts, so where's the transition from there? So we knew our branding wasn't right. Okay. So Chad was like, I think we should make it all about the water lifestyle because we grew up Demopolis getting on the rivers it's called water's bluff there's a blue hair and all this so we did we just kind of really dug in on that it was a great idea we our slogan was life is better on the water mm. we started really pushing like everything tied into boating or skiing or fishing and really pushing that fresh water just lake slash river lifestyle and we started crushing it Wow. You know? So you had a consistent logo, a consistent message, a consistent colors, all that good stuff. Yeah, and it was just like all the images we would create, we didn't have to explain what it was because the image told you. It was a really good lesson. To take it a step further in retrospect, Water's Bluff really wasn't a great name. I always say now it would be if it's more of a product-based but not okay. a lifestyle-based brand. Does that make sense? We sure. are a lifestyle, so think Salt Life or Life is Good. Those are great lifestyle brands. Right. Because you get it. If yeah. it was a bumper sticker, you're like, oh, I know what they're talking about. I know about. what that is. Water's Bluff, what is that? It, we would have been product-oriented. It's okay, like a Viore. But you or, were a lifestyle. Yeah, we were lifestyle. So it, it took a little bit. So we had to be really good with our image. We didn't know it at the time. It was just like, subconsciously we're like that's not good enough or whatever you so know? if you're growing where did it transition to how, how did that where did it go we grew we would double our revenue year over year we launched it in 2012 and the peak season we had was 2016 that was like that was when it was just like southern everything 2017 we, was the first year we might have grown a little bit but not like we had been in the past in 2018 we started really seeing retail getting hammered 
and mm. Kanukins went out of business. Who? It was a store called Kanukins. They had like 30-something doors. They would buy a quarter million dollars worth of product a oh, season no. from us. A season? A season. Okay, so at the top of the market, 16, 17, how much were you guys doing gross? Just under $2 million. Okay, so under $2 million. Are the margins on $2 million in that business any good at all? Yeah, because we had negotiated rates so low. When you're doing vo- – it's a volume game. Sure. So the, if you're printing, you know, I think – I think I mean, we were printing 100,000 T. I mean, you know, we were printing a lot. So we got our – the margins were great. Uh, we – I'll take responsibility. I didn't understand how to cash flow a business. Mm. I kept thinking we're going to grow, 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 grow. So I kept hiring, 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 mm. and chewing up the margin. And – uh I mean, I joined North River Country Club. I was like, hey, we're doing it, man. You know, so the first time that we saw a setback, our cash position was terrible. You know, you had zero margin. You had no room for error. I didn't want to pay money, the government. Yeah. You got money. You would go hire somebody else. You'd go buy something else. Yeah. Because you knew the other money was coming in. Or I expected. Excuse me. I'm expected. like, I'm like, we're gonna grow. Like I would hire salespeople. We would spend more on mark. We'd go to markets in Charlotte and Orlando. We wanted to be bigger and better. So you're just constantly spending more and more Mm -hmm. and more. Well, the bubble popped and we didn't have cash. If you had to do over again, what would you do there? How would you you fix that to where you could keep growing? So that's a great question. I think to properly cash flow a business, first thing, let's say that your overhead, like you've got rent, payroll, whatever, payroll tax, whatever you have. Yeah, all your expenses. The fixed expenses month after month. I would not try to expand a role or buy into something unless I had six months reserves minimum. Six months, wow. To cover in that business. Okay, I got you. Because the cycles are really long. Mm. If you're, you could be making product six months prior. I honestly would say I'd, I'd build it to a year in reserves. And then, and by the way, if let's say I was going to add 4000 a month to it, I would want that six month, I'd want that 24000 on there too before wow. I like made that higher. It's really tough to do because you're growing a brand, and that's why that industry is very tough. You have these windows. You can't just slowly slog no. along. you gotta, you got to go for it. And so it really wasn't anything we did. I mean, we could have done a little bit better, but businesses, a lot of businesses don't need that, and I just think it's better to have reserves so Absolutely. that if you hit a snag, you're, well, you're good. It's like, you know, I sit there, and we were it's at the back end of COVID. It was like 2021. Someone asked me, oh, you work in food? How'd you do? I was like, ah, we were down about 36%. Like 36%. I was like, yeah, it's better than a hundred. Cause there's a lot of people that had zero reserves. Zero. And we use a method called profit first, where I take a certain percentage. I'll just tell you 6% off the top. Yep. If we have, have a hundred thousand dollars this month. I take 6% off the top and put it into a separate account Yep. for crazy crap that happens you never know what's going to happen someone leaves someone does this you got to pay this you got to pay whatever so i keep i do that and it i mean cash i mean having cash to pull out and pay for whatever you need i mean it's extremely valuable number one Mm -hmm. but number two it gives you a lot of confidence when you're making decisions that are quote-unquote risky right so things that may not be like a, a sure hit or a you know whatever it gives you a little confidence. Now, hey, you know what? I'm going to roll the dice here. If it doesn't happen, I'll be okay. Right. So, See, but if you're coming for me riding a bike with a mm. mustache, 
You're like, we're going, bro. That's like, it. It's all Mustache or nothing. And all. That's <laughs> it. I'm going. There ain't no cash reserves. So, and I ain't paying the government a penny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's how I felt about it is like, am I going to pay them in taxes or am I going to invest it in this or whatever? Sure. You know what I mean? So, which isn't a great way to look at it in retrospect, but that's but just. But it's your story. It is. And you learned a lot from it. I did. You, you teach people from it. So, tell me about what it transferred from there. So, my partner and I, Chad, split up in 2019. We had launched another line called Old State Pride too. That was more of a shell company. So we had an outside investor that we would sell. Say we sold $100,000 in product, and it cost fifty to make. They, the investor would put that up. As soon as we collected, he'd get his fifty, and then we'd split the remaining fifty ways. And we used it. It was a way where I wasn't pulling more from Waters Bluff, but I was generating for me and Chad we were generating extra so we were not robbing waters so does that make sense you're so, not taking a big salary out of water, water exactly water. so we did that and so we split in 2019 after canoe because we should have gone under we should have bankrupted i mean it was a really tough time it was a quarter million dollar cash swing you know so uh we we separated my wife uh she's from the dfw dallas fort okay. worth area so she, we wanted to move back so we separated, moved to Texas. I'd done a house flip, so I made some pretty good money on that. Um, so that we had some of those reserves. And then I went to Texas, and I did. I had a shipping container business I started that was great. We were selling like 80 a month, and then COVID hit, and they were gone. Okay, let's st- take a step back for a second. So okay. we just if we just start talking about your wife. So you, yeah. where did you meet your wife? What's the story? Give me the short story there. All right. So my wife went to the University of Alabama. Okay. She's five years younger than me. So after I moved back, selling insurance yeah. and all that, I didn't have a car when I met my wife. Okay. And but you had a mustache. I did have the mustache. And okay. oh, and I played music. So mm. I always tell her she fell in love with me because she saw me performing that's one right, night. She did. Okay. And she says that's not true, but I think it's true. Um. So we met because I asked her out on a date, and we're both just very genuine, real people, especially at that point in my life. Sure. I had the mustache, man. I was like, yeah. this is who I am, you know what yeah. I mean? And so we really hit it off, um, and we dated for, I can't even remember, a year or two, and then we separated for a year. Mm. She went back to Texas. I stayed in Alabama running Waters Bluff, and we reconnected like a, a year and a half later at a mutual friend's wedding. And we both knew, like, all right, we tried other things. This is what we want. That's and great. so we went 100% in. You That's know? good. Now, what does she do? She is uh, she's like a jack-of-all-trades. Her mom's a real estate broker, okay. so she does a lot of stuff for her, like secretarial-type work. Yeah. She does – she's borderline – she's not borderline. She's OCD, mm. and so she has a company called Simplicity where she'll go in and she'll help organize people's pantries or closets yeah. or – um, she's got a big project in East Texas next week where she's unpacking, like they're moving into a new home and she's putting everything up. Putting everything up. Yeah. So wow. she does that as well. That's awesome. So, um, tell me about kids. You guys got any kids? We don't yet. No kids. No. Nope. Okay. Is that, an, you, would you like to have kids? One day? I would love to have kids. That's awesome. Um, so tell me about going back to Texas. Yeah. So you go back to Texas which is honestly, it sounds like a clean slate. So I want to hear about the shipping container business. Yeah. So I, I, it's just funny is, you know, life is all relational. And oh my gosh. So everything that happens is burns from someone that knew someone or whatever. So I was playing golf with a group of guys. I like playing golf. I don't get to play as much anymore, but, um, a guy that I met just, we hit it off and he said, Hey, 
you need to get in this shipping container game. It's crazy. And I said, I want to learn more about it. So we went to lunch. He broke it down. They were selling shipping containers on Facebook. And I was like, yeah, we do need to get in on this. So I went and got a financial backer because I didn't really have a lot of money at the time. Um, a mutual friend that I knew that would love to back it. And it was kind of the same thing as that apparel. He'd put the money up. We'd sell them, then we'd all split. So there were four go back, of us. Go back. Go, go ahead. Back. Okay. Give, that, I understand it a little bit. Yeah. I understand all of it. Yeah. Somebody out there does not understand it. Yeah. So, so like walk through that and give me an actual number. What do you mean? Give me a $50,000. Okay, so the shipping container costs, I don't know how much shipping ticket. Okay, we would, the shipping containers cost us, it depends on the size, but anywhere from six to $800 a piece. That's okay. what we invested. So, you, so tell me about the backer and how that worked with splitting. I didn't understand that. Okay, so the, the backer would put the money up. So say we would go pre-sale on Facebook through Facebook Marketplace, and we'd get people, they'd say, I want them, and they'd put up a deposit. The backer would go put money up, at the it's a, it's a complicated relationship because we had a we had an in with Maersk the manufacturer and that whole game is weird there's depots all throughout the country where it comes in on a ship in Houston and they drive it to Dallas and they no longer need the container they don't go back to China they sit it at a shipping like a yard it's called a shipping container depot well you might have a depot in Dallas that has 5,000 containers you know and Maersk is paying rent every day to the depot owner to hold the container until they need to reuse it, to pull it out of Dallas back to the ship. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then they would have some that were getting later in life, and they would tag them, and they'd say, let's just sell them. Let's sell them so that we're not paying rent every day, and sure. we'll just manufacture a new one. We've got the life out of that one. So I'm in a hub in Dallas and Fort Worth where there's two major depots, and so we would, through Maersk, we would – Pay Maersk directly for say fifty at six hundred bucks. What's that? Thirty thousand. Thirty grand. Thirty grand. We'd pay them thirty, and they'd sit on the depot, and then we'd have our drivers go pick them up, pull them out, and deliver them to whoever bought them. Whoever bought them on Facebook Marketplace. Whoever bought them on Facebook. So, okay, so you, okay, if they you bought it for six hundred dollars, how much would you sell them for at the time? At that time, the the demand was pretty consistent, so you know you're probably doubling, maybe a little bit more. So fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, something like that. Okay, so talk to me about the backer. You said. The guy put up the thirty. Let's just use the number for thirty thousand. He right. bought the thirty, put the thirty thousand mm -hmm. up, and then what was what was the what was the split there? How did that work? Yeah. So let's say we made eight hundred. That's what's that forty grand. Mm -hmm. So we'd split forty grand. He get ten. I get ten. This guy get ten, and he get ten. And we got to where we're moving between eighty to a hundred a month. So you would just do that cycle every time. Every time, we would buy because what would happen is she would send out weekly. Uh, inventories and when they came available we go ahead and buy them because we didn't want anybody else to buy them even before you just hold them and then go sell them so every time there was more inventory we'd buy them no matter what no matter what the backer would buy them every time or would you ever get to the point where you would buy them well we only got to run it for like four or five months before it went before there were no more they stopped selling them amazon and walmart i think bought up all of them because what happened in COVID, they needed them to transport across the country, not like back to China. Mm. So it just went depleted. So that business, um, I think October of 2020, there were none. And we had started that in like April. So I had four months, I'm like, dude, I had, I was like, we're gonna go to every depot cause I had access to all of them, like in Mobile and whatever. We're gonna, get, we're gonna 
take over this thing. And then it's just gone. So what happened from there? So then this one, I know this is a church program, this but one. I'm a businessman. Yeah. Um, so I had some shipping containers left and I invested in a marijuana grow facility in Oklahoma. Great. And I sent them, my deal was I'll give you shipping. They were landlocked. They had one building and you get the most money for indoor marijuana. So okay. I didn't know that you just, you run out of space and it's like, we can't generate more revenue. This is it. So I said, what if I bring you shipping containers you grow them in there. and we grow them in there and I just want a portion of the profits off everyone. I'll supply it. So you didn't make them pay for the shipping containers. No. Nope. said, I'll give you the ship because they're only 600 bucks a piece. 600 bucks. So you give them the shipping containers and say, give me 10% of the sales. Whatever the number was. Yeah, I think I got a twenty five percent profit split. Not oh, not, not, not revenue. Not so gross. yeah. Twenty five percent of profit. Okay, so t- keep going. And so that happened, they're potheads. So it didn't work out great. I looked up in six months and I think off of that I'd made like three or four thousand. They kept saying, Oh, the bats wasn't good or whatever. And I just didn't like the business. Sure. I, I felt like they might have been selling it across state lines. I didn't want to be associated mm. unless it's like by the book. I didn't want any part of it. Yeah. So then I said, I'll sell you the containers at market value. You got to remember it's depleted. So I had to invest it 1800 bucks in three shipping containers. And I think I sold it to them for 21,000. <gasps> well, I do know that's, that's true because a buddy of mine who works in, he deals with China a lot on in the shipping containers. Mm-hmm. And it was like 2000 bucks to ship it, whatever, across from China. Bro, we went from 2000 to like 14000 It was crazy. I think the part average of was, was – Part of it was the shipping container, but part of it was the, the demand. The logistics, the, the logistics rate, yeah, everything, yeah. yeah. And I, it was $7,000 a piece, and they <laughs> bought it. So I ended up making about twenty five, And that's the other thing. I just kept finding ways to, like, hang on. You know what I mean? Like. Just, I mean, and I'd have this idea, and it'd get started, and then it'd, like, fall out. But then yeah. I'd have another one, and it was, like, just always. So what did you do after you showed those to the, to the guys in Oklahoma? So, uh, let me think. So, I struck a deal for a royalty, a licensing agreement for Waters Bluff with a group out of Atlanta. And they deal with, like, Ross and big-ticket stores. Yeah. And I said, I'll give you the rights to the art, and you can go shop it. And I just want a royalty off every piece sold. So I started getting a little bit of mailbox money on the Waters Bluff deal, too. Okay. I went and got my real estate license. Okay. Just whatever I could do. You still live in Texas? Still live in Texas. I got my real estate license, did a few deals with that. Uh, just kept finding ways to manufacture enough. And it was it was tight. And then... Um, you were married at the time? Married, yeah. Okay. And... With that same group that I was licensing Waters Bluff, I started creating branding programs for some of the stores. I'm always just, I love that. I love creating brands and mm-hmm. stuff. It's like just my creative energy. Yeah. So I, I created like three or four, and they really hit, you know. So we started being able to live a little bit more comfortably and feeling okay. good because I was getting royalty checks off the stuff that I mm. created okay. with my art with my old artists at Waters Bluff. So... I leveraged that, and then I I started the roofing business. Tell me about okay. So let's. This is where we are now. Okay. Tell me about how the roofing thing got started. Who was the connection there? What's the situation? So there? my brother-in-law has been in the claims business for years now, and it's a really. I'm not even gonna go into it, but it's not your typical claim. Like if if a church sign in, 
Utah, Alabama went down. How do you know the market rate for that? How do you – so he would call sign shops around there and say – and bid it out. And, and so he was in the claims industry. And so that was part of it that gave me confidence to pursue it because I knew that he knew how that game worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I knew a guy, still do, that did roofing, and he was very successful with it. And it didn't look like it was that difficult to do. It just felt like a real blocking and tackling. You know, I'm, sure. I'm used to creating things where I'm trying to create a demand for my product, okay. like apparel. Like, hey, I, you got to get me, people to like it. Shirts are everywhere. You got to get people to like it. I'm creating demand for yeah. it. This is one where the demand is stagnant. It's there. People need roofs. I don't need to go create that. I just need to be better at blocking and tackling and getting people to let me do it. Um, and then we were very fortunate. He has friends down in Austin that have a roofing outfit, and we leaned on them a lot to learn some of the tricks, like where do we find the best installers, how does the product side work. And then once I got kind of strapped with all that right information, I just, I'm just i the type of person I'm extremely biased towards action. So right. I just went out without a clue. Yeah, what I year was this, 21, 21 or 22? This was actually last year. We launched in September of last year. We did our first roof in November of that year. Okay. So give me the, the basic breakdown of how the business works. Because you don't do new construction. No, because it's capital intensive. Okay. You got builders, and they're not going to pay you for 90 days, but you're out the labor and materials, and you got to hold the paper until – and then if they go belly up, you go belly up. So – we like chasing, not chasing, but we like insurance claims. Sure. You know, something's been damaged. And in Texas, there's a lot of hail. So there's a lot of roofs. Like we had five hailstorms this year, just in my area. Wow. So a lot of claims happen. And so we do a lot of re-roofs. Um, and, you know, we really partner with people locally. Like that was really important to me. When you say partner with people, you mean like roofers? Insurance agents. Okay. Real estate agents people within the community you know we want to be a fixture in the community we want to do right by the community we want to take care of people's homes it's little things that people don't realize but you know we'll strip it all the way down to the decking the plywood on the roof a lot of contractors don't do that sure and if we see any soft spots we repair them no questions asked even if it chews in our margin like we're just really about you know being really good people in the community you know what i mean sure so and it's paid dividends, you now know? T- tell me this. So break the business down so far as what you do with the business. Like, how's the sales process go? How do you get paid? You're not out there putting the roof on, but t- give me, that, give me yeah. that, that snapshot of how that works. Because right, there's so, somebody out there right now that thinks this is a good idea that would want to do it, either call you and partner with you right. or something. Well, everybody's got their own way. There are people that go out and actually door knock and, and just – go to the people and try to drum it up. I don't do that. Mine is, um, you know, like I said, referral sources using the sphere that we already have. So if I hire someone, I really want to know who do you know already? Mm-hmm. You know, people need to trust you. It's their house. So what's their, is their personality very salesy or are they like calm and trustworthy? So uh, I, that's the way I approach it. So let's just say we get one. Someone says, yeah, you can come check my roof out or they know I have a leak. Or How do you get one? Through, just through referrals. Through referrals. Okay. I mean, I've got insurance agents that will call me and say, hey, you need to go see this guy. So your biggest agent. thing is is in, me and with insurance agents and having that relationship. Yeah, and I've done some door knocking. Just last week, I saw four houses with shingles missing and I knocked their door. 
And they were like, yeah, let's take a look at it. So, but I don't just blindly knock for no reason. I need to be prompted. If we get one, say we know in this neighborhood we got one, we'll go out and knock the neighbors and say, hey, if you've been thinking about it, there's they approved theirs so we know mm. there's a higher probability they would approve yours because you're right here and it's the same storm sure. so there are little tricks like that but um and then it's just a matter of working through insurance and that is where you separate the men from the boys so to speak okay. how's that navigating and understanding how to get a claim approved from mm-hmm. insurance carriers that don't want to approve claims because that's mm-hmm. how they lose money, they lose money yeah. um, is there's an art to it. And there's, there's a way to know how to go about it. There's a way to, to that, what that process looks like. You know, we talk about full circle and the way the universe works. I studied risk management and insurance in college and hated it. Mm-hmm. I'm now a roofing contractor that deals with claims all the time. All the time. So, so to, from a legality standpoint, how do you, so you talk about separating the men from the boys. Is it just a – where did you learn that, I guess, is my question. Well, I was fortunate. My partner, Wade, has been in claims. But okay. also, you know, man, you're in business. Yeah. You're always searching. Sure. If, if you truly want to be the best, you never stop searching. Yeah. So we have really good what we call negotiators or estimators that, that we hire third party mm. on really big claims. Yeah. This is all they do every day. They're public adjusters that get paid a percentage of whatever they add to the total and just working them and seeing how those people work and, and connecting with the right people. You learn like, OK, mm. I see why he did that. I see why I did that. me personally. I've had a lot of success working with adjusters by just being myself. Yeah. And I think a lot of times contractors don't want to show their cards or they're playing things close to the vest. Um, there's a lot of little tricks that contractors do, and I think it turns adjusters off. I just come at them hat in hand and say, hey, here's what we're seeing. And if they don't agree, it's okay. We're going to patch it up and move on. We're going to do the right thing always. But there are no tricks or hidden agendas. We're not here to try to pull any, you yeah. know. But there are a lot that do. You so, know? okay, so you got a roof, get a referral. Yeah. Johnny's roof is messed up. Mm-hmm. Sammy, the insurance agent, says, go see Johnny. You yeah. go see Johnny, then what? I get on and evaluate. I okay. look at his roof. I know what to look for. Is there hail damage? Are the shingles affected? Is there granule loss? You know, the sandpaper yeah, sure. fills. Is it, is it gone? Do I see damage to collateral like gutters, windows, the ACs, the fence? I'm looking for all that. And if there's enough there that I feel like it's been damaged, then I would say, hey, let's take a look at your policy. Let's see what your deductible is. Let's have a conversation about it. And they feel good. Let's go ahead and file. So and, when you file, mm-hmm. Do you, okay, so it's funny you say this because I had we had an addition on our house and I had to get a new roof mm-hmm. because it it looked horrible if you didn't. One of my guys that I sit with at church works for a roofing company here, and I told him my insurance agency, and he said, "Oh, they'll never approve that because they they just don't." Do you ever run into that? But X Y Z insurance agency doesn't typically approve. I would say things. that uh, there are a few that are known to not want to cover, they'll deny it no matter what. Yeah. Not going to name names. Um, but there are some tough ones and they're the ones that you see the most commercials about. Let's put it that way. Mm. Um, so, but you can always win it. You, the, the homeowner has a right to pursue it all the way down and get independent counsel. The, the, the insurance carrier is not the only, they're not the end of the line as far as deciding, whether it, it whether it's been damaged or not yeah that's the other thing it's really funny like 
insurance companies have done a really good job of, you know, making people think that like damage means it's not working. Sure. That's not true. Damage is damage. Like the, the great example I'll give you is if I walked out today and my truck had hell dings all over it, would I be arguing that I couldn't drive my truck? Mm-hmm. No, but I would be arguing that a storm has damaged my truck. No doubt. Is that the company that terrible? Yep. That's the worst. What That's what I had. And I said, he said, he, I, he even didn't even come look at it. He's like, I, they're not going to approve it. We would win it if it needed, if it had yeah. anything. I yeah. mean, but, I can't but say that's, it is that, the, is that the insurance company that, that you have the most problems with? They're the worst. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. So tell me where you are. You've been right out a year now. Yeah. Tell me where you are. What the, what's the, what's kind of the next step on plan? Of, of Man, growing? it's been great. So in our market, which again, it's very important to me to get embedded in communities and be a fixture. You know, I'm from Alabama. I'm looking to get in this territory and yeah. help people with roofs over here. Um, but it's accelerated so quickly. I mean, we're doing everything from the, the asphalt shingle roof. I mean, we've got, I'm literally working on a house that's worth $18 million right now, the roof, redoing it. The roof is worth 18 million? No, no the, the house. house. The okay. House. But it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a nice roof, and it's a specialty trade, meaning it's a clay tile. Yeah, terracotta a type A lot thing. of copper. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot more planning, scaffolding involved. Uh, the prep work involved is completely different. So we've just gone full bore into it. And at this point, it's just there's, I feel confident there's really nothing that I sure. couldn't get done. So you want to move into another market. You talked about Birmingham. What would be the what would be something that you would want to how would you want to do that moving into another market? Because you're the person that does the does a lot of the Okay, so let me go back. What do you do day to day? Well, you know, I hired our first sales guy. He's been great. Again, I asked to see his fear. Sure. I, I trusted him. We go to the gym every day. Mm-hmm. I like working with people I know. Yeah. That's tough. I understand that if you want to really scale out. But, yeah, just partnering up with somebody here locally that I trust that I think probably knows a lot of people to get started. Mm-hmm. And then, honestly, just every single time we come in t- contact with a customer, they feel it's the greatest experience they ever had with a contractor. Mm. And I think that it That's just good. breeds more and more and more business. I really don't have like, oh, we're going to come in and SEO this thing and market this thing to death. It's like, no, nope, we're going to come in and do a really good job for this first person. And then we're going to ask them to give us a really good review. And then if they know anyone else, and every time we come out, we're going to do the best right. that could ever be done to that customer. And their experience is like, I think it's my Angela that says, um, people won't remember what you said or did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. That's right. And that's how I feel is like, just if you do a really good job and you take care of them, you'll be just fine. That's right. So wanting to move into a different market, what else? What else is... What do you do besides the roofing? Anything investment-wise? You had mentioned flips and things like that. Are we just totally focused on the roof? Right, right now? now, because it's just been a year. It's taken up so much of my time. Sure. I've, you know, yes, dude. I'm a yeah. serial entrepreneur. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm going to build a sunglass line. You right. know, my wife and I are going to go to Italy next year and explore because I really have a good idea for sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the exit on those. Like, it, the multiples they pay is crazy and oh, i'm yeah, a businessman right, yeah. um yeah obviously real estate uh it's a really tough time with interest rates and texas property tax they don't have state income tax Mm-mm. property taxes are high so it's mm-hmm. not a great investment model i'd love to invest more in alabama as yeah. far as rental properties with the property taxes the way they are sure. but 
we're probably going to wait till we get interest rates down a little bit lower before we start buying those things up. But a hundred percent, I, if I don't have at least 10 properties in the next five years, I'd kind of be kicking myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, tur- sure. Um, okay. So let's talk through this real quick. So I have yeah. three or four questions that I always ask everybody on the back end of this. And okay. it's just, just random stuff. So are you talking about social media and anything like that? Are you on social media? Dude, I'm terrible with social terrible. media. Okay. Do you do you consume it at all? Facebook, TikTok, Instagram? I consume like that? a lot of it because I'm infatuated with the opportunity with it. Mm-hmm. So I got on TikTok and I started seeing what all the hubbub was about. I'm a big believer in YouTube. More yeah, eyeballs. Me on, too. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. The Love co- YouTube. I, I if 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 we get the sunglass thing rolling, I will definitely infiltrate those two. Who's your favorite follow on any social media platform? Who do you like when you see them come up, whether it be on YouTube, TikTok, anything, who do you like seeing them? You know, I watch on YouTube. I really like, there's a, uh, there's a channel called No Laying Up, some golf guys. I'm, I love to play golf. Okay. And they do, their content is outstanding. That's great. And no I, I, I love, up. I love the way they shoot it. Their yeah. storylines are great guys. I love that. I, I've watched a lot of good, good golf. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a lot of – I'm not on Instagram or Twitter. No, that's great, though. No, yeah. that's great. I, I've never yeah, heard yeah. of those guys, so I'll check them out. Yeah. So that's good. Um, you talked earlier about your granddad. Yeah. He's a reader. He was a learner. Mm-hmm. What are you learning right now? What, what are you trying to figure out? Like, I, I'm, like when you – when you get on the airplane going back home or when you're driving and listening to something, what are you really focused on learning right now? Because you got a lot of uh, – you're, so, you're focused, but there's a lot of things, a lot of moving parts. Yeah, so, you know, this is going to sound probably counterintuitive. No. Um, I was telling you earlier, I've really been at a place in my life where I want to trust my own instincts sure. a lot. I feel like I've done enough learning. Not I'll always be learning. I don't mean it like I just I, mean, I don't take it that way. Yeah. I, I've I've read a lot. Yeah. I've, I, I've studied so many things. You know, there are people that fascinate me. I've read a lot of different books. I love one of my favorites, The Obstacle is the Way about Stoicism. Yeah. It's a great book. I love it. Um I've done a lot of that stuff and I really feel like I'm in a place now where I just want to innately do what I feel compelled to do. And even if it leads me to the wrong place, I think that ultimately leads me to the right place. Mm. And so I'm just really trusting my maker, trusting yeah. the universe that just like who would have thought you'd study risk management and insurance. And then that would be a tool in your belt sure. that wasn't in the insurance field. You know what I mean? And so it's just the way the world works. And uh, so for me, I think I learn a lot by doing too. Yeah. So let's get out and do it, and then I'll call people and ask. But I don't really spend a lot of time sitting around, like, learning anymore. Ready, fire, aim. You ever read that? Ready, fire, aim. I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. It's so good. I need to read it. It's exactly what you're saying. You would love it because it's your – that is what is inside of you because I am not as extreme as you are with that, but I'm also not a make 14 plans, hey, let's go do something. Well, let me just say this, too. I think there are different levels that people attain to get to. Mm-hmm. And I love anybody that wants to get anywhere, and they've self-determined that. Sure. I got love for it and respect Absolutely. for it. Absolutely. But if you want to be at the 1%, you won't look like anybody no. you know. Mm-hmm. If you say, oh, uh, yeah, I'm really connecting with these people, you're not in the 1%. I don't no. mean that in a bad way. No. I just mean there's only 1% of the population that can truly understand it. Right. And so if some people don't question your sanity a little bit or think – 
you're probably not getting to where if that's what your goal is. Sure. And that's my goal. I just feel compelled to do it. Yeah. You know? No, I get it. What? Uh, so talk. So you talked about that book. That was one of my next questions. So last two questions. Okay. Two part question. Right. What is the best vacation you've ever taken? My wife and I went on our honeymoon to Las Ventanas in Mexico. Incredible, dude. Really? Laid around. They give you a button. You have yes. a personal butler. I've done it. Yes, yeah. I've done it before. It's, it's awesome. incredible. Yes. Best shrimp tacos, best sushi. Uh, we They would do turn down. So, so like, oh, yeah. we'd come in after sitting at the pool at 5. We might take a nap. And then we'd call them and say, hey, come change the sheets again while we go to dinner. And they would do it again. Like, it was incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, next, last question. What's the best vacation you've never taken? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, man, there's so many that I've seen. It's really hard. Yeah. I'm drawn to, like, I love this idea of, like, Spain and Italy okay. and spending time over there. Yeah. It looks beautiful. Um, but my favorite, my go-to is just the beach. Man, me too. We work too hard. I need time to just unplug. That I don't. Me. I still go for a run and read, but I'm not. And I'm still engaged on some level, but I can unplug for a few hours every day at least. Now, listen, that's where me and you are the same. So we, we go every year, just Jack and I. So we have three kids, but we go every year and take a vacation. We go five days. It's the same amount every time. Yep. And, um, but we don't do anything. We don't either. Like we go, we're, we're we all cook in, at home. We're all inclusive people. Okay, y'all we go on vacation. Yeah. We have people bring us food. We eat, we drink, we don't go to bed late. We get up early. I get up early. I still do my morning routine, but like it is just like don't do anything. Right. To take the five days and learn. And you so, need it. You do. You do. If, if you're working hard enough, you need it. You do. Uh, okay. Talk to me about where if someone wants to find you, questions about what you're doing, uh, wants to invest, wants to do what. Just tell, where can someone find you? Uh, you can you can look me up. I'm. Let me think. So you could call me. My number is 334-329-2984. You could email me, Perfect. will at olmerindustries.com. Okay. I'd be more than happy to help anybody any That's way I awesome. can. That's awesome. Will, thanks so well, much. This has been great. Go ahead. Last yeah. plug, y'all can check out vaqueroroofing.com. Spell it. V-A-Q-U-E-R-O, Vaquero Roofing. That's cowboy in Spanish. Hopefully coming to Birmingham. There you so, go. Hey, Will, this has been great. If you have – if anybody out there has any questions for us – here on the Owner's Table Podcast, please reach out to us. My email is thomas at thomascox.co. You can get in touch with Will. Love to have you do that. If you have not subscribed to whatever platform you're listening on, please do that, whether it be YouTube, Spotify, Apple, whatever. We would love that because that's what helps us the most. So thank you so much, guys.